What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What is Crackalackin' Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Pavalli coming at you without my fantabulous co-host, Adam Frommel. I am, however, super excited to be joined by... Yasmin Duale, who covers the Toronto Raptors and NBA at large for a couple of different places. She is the creator of the basketball and culture journal, The Neon Playbook. Follow that on Twitter at The Neon Playbook. She's also a co-host of the Dishes and Dimes podcast. Follow them on Twitter at Dishes Dimes Pod. Also subscribe to their Patreon. It is among the best $10 a month I spend. She, she also writes for Yahoo Sports Canada and the Basketball News. She's great at what she does. Definitely make sure you're following her on Twitter at Carmelo Drama. That's at C-A-R-M-E-L-O-H-D-R-A-M-A. We talk about a bunch of stuff pertaining to, you guessed it, the Toronto Raptors who seem to have turned a corner and they were among the teams that we did not cover leading into the preseason when we did our singular team deep dive. So we're going to start throwing you know, covering those teams a little bit more in depth over the next few weeks and months here. We also talk about some teams other than the Toronto Raptors that are going to be fascinating to us moving forward. We hit on the Dallas Mavericks, the Miami Heat, the Brooklyn Nets, and the Philadelphia 76ers there. It's a great podcast. Hope you enjoy it. Before we get started, just a usual reminder to pretty, pretty, pretty please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you're getting your podcasts. If you do not use iTunes, please head over there anyway. Search Hardwood Knox. Throw us that five-star rating. Write a review. Helps us out a bunch. Definitely make sure that you are subscribed and downloading all our episodes on your podcast player, though. You can also follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. And go to YouTube and subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com. Search Hardwood Knox. We will come up. Subscribe. Now that all that's out of the way, let's get to talking some Toronto Raptors and teams that will be fascinating to us the rest of the season with Yasmin Duale. Yasmin, welcome back to the Hardwood Knox podcast. Thank you so much for jumping on with me today to talk some Toronto Raptors. How are you doing? I'm well. Thanks for having me. I'm always down to to talk Raptors. <laughs> Which is good because it sounds like you're on a little bit of a podcast marathon to talk about the Raptors. Yes. <laughs> Need to get out of the way. <laughs> uh, they are forever fascinating to me, at least, because I like so many of the players on their team. But this season, they've been probably more polarizing than people expected. They struggled to start out the gate but my I guess my first question to you would have to be have they turned a corner just based off you know they've won seven of their their last 11 the half court offense has been sort of clicking during that time the defense has been good do you think that this stretch is a is a harbinger of things to come what are you noticing about it is it something that might be a little bit fleeting what are, what are kind of your thoughts on um, that I think that you're right they definitely have turned a bit of of, of, a, of a corner um, I think I'm not sure it's sustainable. I think that they have um, some real issues down to uh, the current roster. Um, I feel like playing in Tampa out of Toronto is a big a, a bigger variable than people are crediting it. Um, not being able to um, play near your home. Pl- uh, I think players are still living in hotels, a few of them. So mm-hmm. I feel like that's significant. Not having your regular training facilities in your home um, by your home court and everything. Um, and um, I think that they would be playing a little differently if they were in Canada right now. But so I'm not sure it's sustainable. I think that this was going to be a tough season regardless. Once they um, had their um, request to play in Canada 
denied by the federal government. So, um, but yeah, there's some real issues as it stands um, with the center rotation uh, specifically, because outside of that, the team is otherwise the same. Um, so I'm not sure I buy that they've fully turned a corner, but I do think that they're finding a, a little bit more chemistry. And I think that Baines has been playing like his normal self rather than um, being an active minus out there. The the Tampa thing I feel like is something that should be so obvious to discuss more, but it's kind of become, I guess, just a mid this season that's just so abnormal to begin with. It feels like mm-hmm. it gets swept under the rug more. And even when, you know, fans clearly shouldn't be at games, but when they've mentioned, like, could there be, you know, fans at one point um, or more fans in, in Tampa Bay? And it's like, well, what, who cares? Like, the Raptors are in Tampa Bay. It's not Toronto. Exactly. I don't know what that would do. They had fans to start the season. I think they changed that. But when they were starting the season with fans, they were, like it wasn't Raptors fans because all Canadians are in Canada right, right. now. <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure they would have made the trip if it was regular uh, border restrictions. But with the way everything's set up, like you have to quarantine for two weeks if you enter the country, um, and once you come back, you got to quarantine another two weeks. Like it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, and look, to be honest, if you are going through all that, the place. Um, to go is definitely not the United States anyway. So (laughs) (laughs) is there anything you've noticed sort of about their half court offense during this stretch that encourages you? Because it was struggling for the most part this season, which I think was predictable, but it's been, I looked it up on clean the glass. It's sixth in efficiency. Again, 11 games, 11 games, but 11 games is also more than half the season right now. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that, but I'm not surprised because I just think that uh, perhaps it was the last last 11 games uh, or so. Um, His stats may not indicate it, but just Baines looks better on the court. Um, I think that his um, screening has really helped the Raptors backcourt, which is uh, pretty pretty bite-sized as it stands <laughs> with Fred and Kyle. So having a big body, um, Baines is one of the best screeners in the NBA at his position. So just having him free up um, talented guards uh, like Kyle and Fred, I think opens up a lot for their half-court offense. And also um, I think the post-up has been um, like really good for Pascal. Um, I know it's something that he was um, struggling with last season. He got most of his points in transition or he was spotting up from the perimeter. But this season, I'm seeing him um, used in the half court far more often. Um, if the Raptors sense an advantage at his position, they will um, have him post up and draw the double, which he has done very well. He's really good at finding um, the most opportunistic pass. Um, so I think that's just really helped them um, uh, since he's bringing forth a skill set that he didn't have last season. When it came to the half court, it was usually um, like split cut action for, led by Gasol. He was really their mm-hmm. half court maestro, which is um, it's, it's, it's surprising, but it, people are seeing how he's playing on the Lakers. Like he's not, he's struggling right now, <laughs> but um, they see the um, extra wrinkle in the offense that Gasol brings with his bounce passes and everything. Has the national discourse veered too far away from reality on Siakam at this point? I feel like, and this is me from afar. (laughs) I've been ignoring it. I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm not up to date with it. Um, I think that um, he will always be um, a a bargain for the Raptors. Just considering the pick that he was, what he's turned into, I think that Pascal is really a a viable player. franchise cornerstone along with another star i i think we we know kind of his limitations we know how excellent he can be when he's paired um and allowed to flourish as a number two option um and there's no shame in being um inadequate as a number one there's only a half a handful of guys in the nba but i think that um coupled with the the long break prior to the bubble season um his his conditioning suffered his Mm -hmm. Um, from what I understand, he was dealing with visa issues that um, where he was in Canada throughout the lockdown, and we have pretty strict restrictions um, here in terms of congregating and um, renting spaces to exercise and stuff like that. It's very mm-hmm. difficult in Canada. Um, so I guess when he came back to the bubble, um, his conditioning was shot, and it kind of led to like kind of a monumental um, collapse against the Celtics, which came down to one possession, considering how poorly he played. Um, and this season, I think that he's been great. Um, I think that his three point shot has, um, been slumping. If there's anything that he could improve, it would be that I think he would be exceeding, um, last season's regular season numbers if his shooting comes around. Um, but yeah, I think that his, the discourse around him is kind of framed by how, um, 
shocking his play was in the bubble compared to how good he was in the regular season. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it kind of just shows you the opposite side of the coin. Like you had players putting up numbers that made no sense, like Donovan <laughs> Mitchell and Jamal Murray. And then you had other players putting up numbers that made no sense, like Pascal Siakam. So um, I think he'll come around. I think that once they have um, – a normalized season hopefully next year um we'll get to see him at the best of his abilities but i think he's you know doing his best with what he has at the moment yeah and i mean you mentioned the shooting he's at 26 25.5 percent on wide open threes and that's yeah. obviously concerning but i think he's shot well enough on those for the past two seasons where you could think that there will be some progression to a mean and- yeah oh go ahead sorry yeah, 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 I was just going to say that, yeah, we, you bring up a good point because it's um, he has like the history of shooting well on wide open shots. Um, and I believe he started the season really hot from three. And even in preseason, he was really hot from three. So I think that this is kind of a natural um, uh, sharp regression over the course of the last, um, I think, dozen or so games where he's really struggled. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if like a hot streak was coming out to normalize those numbers. But we'll see. And the other thing you kind of alluded to is even if it, and I, I do think there's legs to the thought that, hey, maybe he can't be the single best player on a championship team, right. but it's like not really an insult. And uh, so I, I don't necessarily understand. It feels like people looked at the Celtic series last year specifically, and then maybe like the first three or four games of this season, and then just like passed this or reversed a verdict from before and I don't quite get it because he's been so good since then and you know the shooting is a concern and I think his passing is just it it is a lot better this year um I still think just from what I've seen of him that he could at some point it'd be nice if there was like more directional variance on his drives but he's still just a monster on those too even if he still doesn't have the best handle so I'm I guess perplexed just someone like being so far removed from the situation that the discourse still feels like he's somehow underachieving this season or that if he's a number two on a title contender that's somehow a failure yeah it's um it's it's like it's very hard for me to understand it I'm just I'm not gonna bother trying (laughs) I think that the best way the Raptors can um respond to it would just to be would be to simply build another championship caliber team (laughs) so people can be reminded of um how talented he can be when he's in his optimized role when he's maximized um so i you know it's a wait and see scenario and honestly like um the only response to any critique is like they want a championship with him as the second scorer you know so we've seen um him succeed in his best position so um you know that's the that's the only way you can uh, look at it can you explain the brilliance of fred van fleet when it doesn't feel that like he's when you watch him (laughs) that he's like actually changed that much as a player aside i guess from he's um i only looked up a couple days ago he's bombing like eight threes from 25 plus feet this year and like that's the most noticeable difference in his game that, that i can find um, yeah, the thing is, um, with Fred, um, I think that he's made the same amount of crazy strides as Siakam, but it hasn't been as like exponential on a season to season basis. So people hadn't noticed it. So I kind of got caught up in that shadow, but, um, he has really, really improved his game. I think that he has, um, he's easily like any Raptors fan would agree with, with this, that he is probably like the most polished player on the team um i feel like um larry's more cerebral so a lot of his skill sets aren't really like oh he has like the best handle or he is mm-hmm. um you know the best shooter it's a little more um of a gray area that he covers on the court which is why he's so effective on advanced stats uh, specifically but with fred um uh, i think that he's he, he has a ridiculously tight handle uh, he is not turnover prone um he is more of a scorer He's not really a pure point guard, but he has kind of masked a lot of his deficiencies as a point guard um, this season in particular. Like his, He used to have an issue where he would just dribble out the clock, but that has happened so rarely um, this year. He's making point guard-like reads, and he's also improved as that scorer that he probably truly is. I feel like we always joke that if Fred was like 6'3 or 6'4, he'd be a shooting guard. so he's not he's not a classic point guard he's more like in the Kyrie ilk rather than the Chris Mm -hmm. Paul ilk um 
So it would, it, it, that's definitely what changed for him. I think that he's just become a smarter player um, and he's realizing how um, he's taking the one skill that he truly has over a lot of the NBA, which is his shooting ability and just, you know, maximizing it. And it's really, really fun to see. And I was a little bit surprised because I don't know that he's definitely not the most trustworthy finisher when he is attacking no. the basket, uh, but he is shooting a career high from two point range. It's only 46.1%, but I didn't realize it was a, it was a career high, a career high. And there's something about, even though he's not maybe the best creator with the ball in his hands, there is just watching him. Like you trust him with the ball. Like, and so I guess there's something intangible um, there, but it is just interesting that it feels like, I guess, as you point out, it's more incremental improvement from him. It's just he's so he probably should be an all star this season, and it just doesn't yeah, feel like so his too. game has exploded in any one area. Yeah, um, and with his finishing, like I, w- I even wrote about it where I was just saying that if he just takes more mid range shots, we already know that he has you know excellent mechanics. If he just takes more mid range shots, it'll force defenders to stop roaming at the rim because before I, I think his shot profile was just threes and finishing right at the rim so when you fill in that gray area on the court it kind of forces defenders to get closer to you which would give him the you know the upper hand getting a step on them um since he's not crazy athletic he can't always get that space required he'll get blocked at the rim a lot but when he takes those mid-range shots kind of like what um 20 I want to say 2015 or 2016 Lowry realized uh was if he starts utilizing that mid-range area It'll just kind of give him that upper hand. So I I think that's what we're noticing. It seems that he's probably shooting like over 60% from the mid-range right now. It's been ridiculous. You mentioned Kyle Lowry before that he kind of covers this, uh, I guess, immeasurable gray area was was the best way to put it. Is he like just watching him this season and on all the different iterations of kind of the Raptors that he's been on and how he fits, it seems so seamlessly in uh, Mm -hmm. basically any version that they're trotting out there is he the most scalable star in the NBA? And like more so to the point of, I think a lot of people think, oh, Stephen Curry is basically the most scalable star in the NBA, but you still kind of have to change the way that others will play around Stephen Curry to to optimize him or or cater to his stardom, which is totally fine. I feel like Kyle Lowry just takes on whatever identity that you need him to be. Yeah. Yeah. He just, um, I feel like he has enough of every skill set to kind of just seamlessly fit in anywhere. Um, I feel like uh, Kawhi was um, similar where you could just kind of plug him into this Raptors team and he was able to become what they needed, um, which was kind of a little different from what he was on the Spurs. So um, I feel like Kyle's the same way. He's great off ball. He's great on ball. Um, He can finish, he can shoot. He can kind of do a little bit of everything. He's a great playmaker. He has instant chemistry with big men. Um, uh, and yeah, I, I feel like that would fit on every squad. It, it's actually what makes the offseason coming up more the most interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, because he's, yeah, um, he's going to be older and a free agent. I still think he'll just be like, it's the high. I mean, he's probably highly sought after on the trade market right now. So yeah. he's just the player you want on your team. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. What happened with Chris Boucher that he went from clearly the MVP favorite uh, to, <laughs> but at maybe a most improved player favorite to now he's, you know, his minutes are down. He's, he's not shooting as well. Like, have you noticed anything there? What What's going on there? Do you have any gauge on what his actual value is to this team? Um, I, I think that his shooting has improved drastically, which I think was the biggest change. Um, he's really good. He, he's really improved as a roller. Like, He's incredibly good as a roller, but he's not the best when it comes to like, you know, that pass, that short roll pass. He won't always make the right weed. He'll hesitate for a split second, which will kind of deconstruct the play. Um, and I also think a huge issue, not a huge issue, but the reason for his um, the most recent decline was the um, improvement of Aaron Baines, which probably shrank uh, Chris's minutes. And the Raptors opted, 
often opting to play Stanley at the five sometimes um, kind of messes with things. Um, but because of the fact that Boucher is um, undersized, he will oftentimes only match with um, bench bigs because mm. that's usually where he could find the advantage. And that just kind of limits the Raptors' um, versatility, especially when the opposing big men are talented. So if you're dealing with some teams, the, the that five position isn't an emphasis at all. But for other teams, it, you, they have a Vucevic, they have an Embiid, they have a um, Brooke Lopez, you know. So when that happens, um, which I think has happened over the course of the last several games, uh, dealing with, you know, Bam or something at that position. Um, it's created an issue for Chris where I think it's affected his minutes. So it, I think at his most effective, he's probably matching up against a team with the weaker um, big rotation, like perhaps the Celtics or the Nets are where he could find um, advantageous situations. Um, but he hasn't had that lately. And so do you think that kind of inherently caps his ceiling or his value to the Definitely. team? Yeah, and he's on the older side. Um, he started playing basketball super late. I think he was even later than Siakam. Probably, I think he was 19 or something when he started playing organized basketball. Um, but, you know, again, he's undrafted, but he's become like a viable rotation player, which is in of itself a success story. Yeah, I mean, everyone wants the, or teams want the the shot blocking big who also spaces the floor, and that's what mm-hmm. he does. And as you mm-hmm. mentioned, he he feels like he's moving really well off the ball this year, even independent of like you know actual screens, like if he's just trying to cut baseline or something. So, um, but I I looked up, you know, when he plays with Siakam, like the Raptors just can't grab defensive rebounds either. No, it's like no, <laughs> yeah, those tend to be I think the games where Siakam grabs like fifteen boards or something because Chris just gets blown away by. Uh, box outs like he literally looks like just kind of a leaf <laughs> floating <laughs> because of the wind or something he gets tossed aside really easily uh with box outs which forces um pascal to grab most of the rebounds and then um uh ojiana Dobi has been absent lately i think he's i haven't even checked what the injury was i thought they were resting him or something but um he's been out lately which uh reduces the rebounding even more um in those cases, like uh, for the Raptors, whenever they'd um, go smaller, when they had Kawhi, um, Kawhi would have to make up for that dip in rebounding. So the Raptors forwards with OG and Siakam kind of have to pick up the slack whenever um, Chris is on the court. Is that why we don't see more Siakam kind of as the lone big then? I, I mean, I know Ananobi isn't available right now, and I think it was a, a left calf injury, if I'm not mistaken, that he's been out with for over a week now, I think. But um yeah. all season I was just looking at like just surprised that they haven't gone to Siakam at the five more even when Adenobi's healthy is there like and I'm sure this has been talked about yeah. but like what what is yeah, the reason there's, there's definitely a reason for it Pascal can play the five but the thing is um he actually plays better when he's moved down a position like when he's at the three um he's even more effective than if he was moved up to the five and for the raptors og is absolutely like their best small ball big um he is he can stretch the floor um he's an excellent defender of big men um i think the only big man that i haven't seen him effectively uh stop was Embiid um who's just offensively like a monster um but he successfully slowed down Jokic um Giannis like he's a he he has like a stronger base and balance I think than Pascal who tends to be more um fluid he's I think that Pascal is better at defending point guards than OG So I, I'd see he can seamlessly transition between, you know, guarding um, Kemba and then Jalen and then Tatum on one play, uh, which we saw frequently through that um, playoff series. Whereas I feel like uh, OG can move up from the three to the four to the five in terms of defense. And the Raptors, they they absolutely emphasize on defense prior to any um you know, offensive play. So to, to Nick Norris, I think his first state of mind is, okay, who defends this position better? And it's hands down OG. Uh, as we already mentioned, OG's been out, but what have been your impressions of year four? And the one thing I'll preface it with is I kind of, and I think I asked you about this when you were on over the, I don't even know if it was the off season or the, the unscheduled off season during the pandemic, whatever it was, um, but whether they might give him a chance to like explore more self-creation in his game. And I feel like, yeah. Um, there was that matchup with uh, the Pacers where it felt like he really did that. But I also feel like that really hasn't been a focus for him this season. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like um, OG kind of 
uh, for me, like, I think that his stealing is, um, I think that he can perhaps become kind of a, uh, jack of all trades, kind of three and D guy. That's, I think his ceiling, but I could totally be wrong. He's only, um, 23 years old. So, um, it's hard to say, but I think that, um, this season I've noticed that they're, um, allowing him to post up far more often. That's something that would come out maybe in preseason last year, but it's something that he does regularly a couple of times, every single game. Um, he's kind of perfected the three and D role. So I think that they're perhaps allowing him to kind of dip a toe into other, you know, uh, forms of offense. But I think the, um, they're easing him into it because, you know, when a player is this age, you could totally overexpose them and they become overwhelmed and they kind of just stop doing everything well. Right. <laughs> so I think that the they're trying to kind of allow him to fill this role that he's comfortable in, that he's kind of nailed for the past three seasons and then allowing him to um, attempt other things. And yeah, he's definitely attempting far more self-creation than he ever has. Um, it's not going to be a lot in comparison to... Um, you know, Pascal or Kyle, mm-hmm. uh, but it's definitely far more. It's gone beyond just catch and shoot threes for him. Yeah, I was, I was just kind of hoping they would try more of it. And there's probably, you know, right. you mentioned his strength before that. I don't think there was a better example of, you know, him going against Sabonis on the block against the Pacers in, in the, the game that they won against Indiana. And like, so Sabonis just couldn't even keep him there. And Sabonis no is not slight. <laughs> He's not slight. Exactly. Yeah, he could, he just kind of effectively removed Sabonis out of that game in that matchup. And that's what I, exactly what I mean. Like his, just his strength against big men is outrageous so um you know i think that his i think that the offense will come along for him he's already shown like a capacity for um gaining skills that he doesn't otherwise have he wasn't a shooter in college mm-hmm. and he's become an excellent catching shooter um so it'll just be it'll be interesting to see him kind of just like one thing that i love about mikhail bridges is how he can kind of do a little bit of everything so it'll be really cool to see if he can not only expand his offensive um skill sets as a scorer but also as a um, distributor um you know besides interior passing i want to see him um you know try other things out of the pick and roll and whatnot yeah if he develops like the type and he's better at other stuff than mikhail bridges but if he develops the type of like passing on the move when he's attacking downhill that mikhail bridges can do uh that's kind of game over for everybody else and i still he could be the player that he is right now and you mentioned the shooting it is kind of just ridiculous that he is um shooting 43.3 percent from three on almost six attempts per game and i don't even know if that gets talked about enough but that extension he signed i was four years and 72 million dollars i was flabbergasted he came that cheap i was i was shocked yeah i i I had them paying fred van vliet and og more money than they ended up doing so both were secured on pretty excellent um contracts and to have um og during his you know, as he enters his prime for the next four years, that's just a really, really solid signing. Yeah, and I do think it'll get driven home how much of a bargain he was when we see either what Mikel Bridges gets in his extension or if he gets to restricted free agency in 2022. We'll be able to look back and be like, wow, the Raptors really kind Right, of, that'll be very interesting. They fleeced yeah. OG there. Um, <laughs> the the So some small sample question here. Who do you, Whose performance do you view as, you know, more impresses you or just more meaningful to this team? Um, Stanley Johnson or uh, Utah Watanabe? Um, hmm. I think both have been really, really awesome to see. I, on one hand, you have Stanley Johnson, who's like this lottery pick, um, who's just you know been thriving in his super limited role on the Raptors right now, and he seems, you know, happy with it. It's just shown like a lot of humility to reduce, um, you know, to go from this superstar from high school and college to, um kind of just swallowing his pride and trying to improve within the um offense that he's been that he's in right now so on one hand that's really great to see um and i think that he perhaps has the higher ceiling um just based on his skills as a ball handler and passer versus utah watanabe and then on one hand i think with utah it's been more impressive because i had literally no expectations after they signed him i wasn't really familiar with him i know that he didn't get much playing time on the grizzlies so um but then he just ends up being like um i think uh, the best way to describe it is kind of covington-esque in the sense where he's nailing his threes he's an excellent defender and he's also just making like every right read he just has like this feel for the game you can't really teach 
um, he's always in the right spot for rebounds. He's always in the uh, right spot for deflections and seals and, you know, just things that you can't really teach. And he always seems to be a part of every comeback, <laughs> you know, or every run. He just seems to be in the middle of it. And those are like my favorite kinds of players. I think that every, um, you know, decent team needs a couple of those guys. You know, the Raptors, you know, their championship season, every position was that kind of guy, you know. So yeah. um, you can't they're just kind of an invaluable um, role player position. So I think that Utah has been the mo- the more impressive um, uh, play this season, but the most impre- impressive player this season for them um, end of bench wise. But Stanley, like that's, you know, it's no small feat for him to um, start to put things together and figure it out because, you know, um, it wasn't looking so good for him <laughs> over the course of the last season. I, I was shocked he wasn't getting, getting any playing time, but it seems that they've been just um, putting him in the lab and working on having him reduce his bad habits and everything. Yeah, didn't Nick Nurse, like, not by name, but basically call him out once last year? Or oh, all the time. <laughs> yeah, and, and so he's done, like, I his usage rate is sub, like, eight or sub nine, whatever it is. And so he's doing everything without looking for a shot. He probably still turns the ball over too much, but – He's been a revelation, I think, to me just because of what I knew about him already, and this just feels like a pretty big departure from that. But I right. had zero, sub-zero knowledge of of who um, who Utah was and what he could do on the court. And so seeing um, a few games that he's played, and it feels like he plays bigger than he actually is while still moving like oh, someone who's 6'9". Um, when yeah. he's defending off the ball, his verticality around the rim. So he is like, I don't know if it ends up being more meaningful. I think someone like Stanley Johnson, what he technically brings is maybe what teams might want a little bit more. But uh, just because, again, I don't know what your anyone's expectations could have been for him this season. He's just been an, an absolute shock. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the Raptors, um, you know, gave him a position on the roster beyond, I think he's a two-way right now. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they... Um, boost uh utah just to retain him you know uh so looking more big picture with this team is the absence of that player who can put you know consistent more effective half court um pressure on the rim still like their biggest missing piece or is there something else that you look at them and say that they need um i think that they've kind of mended their um issues with getting to the rim that was a problem i feel like for the first several games but then you know they've started to play more aggressively lately i feel like they you know match the opposition's rim um paint attempts um pretty frequently nowadays but to me like the missing the ideal piece to this team that i think would take it from being like just you know middle of the pack below middle of the pack to being a contender is just having that versatile um wing score alongside siakam with um average to above average playmaking abilities um you know there's a few players that fill that um kind of spot in the nba i think that uh victor oladipo would be a really good get for them oh um even potentially like a um i'm not really sure which player would fill this role but a big man that can do something similar like with a average to above average playmaking ability defensive defensively tough um you know i think those those two spots are the weakest for them they need something to fill out that forward spot like another scoring wing and then they or if they can't get that they just need another punch from the um five spot so uh, we'll see how it pans out i think when you watch them enough times you see where they're where what they're missing and you'd often find that oh this is a team that can use like a another punch like a, a clay thompson or something you know what i mean and right. it, it's funny because i was watching the warriors the other night and i'm like wow the warriors need like another wing score and they're golden and i kind of just forgot that clay is injured right now <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's how i feel with the uh watching toronto i'm just like oh they need like they need this spot filled out and you know on the bright side they have like their core locked up they have the uh, siakam locked up they have fred um og you know um locked up at their position so they have the chips required to you know make any trades they have the chips required to um you know do what they need to do and you know i think it was yesterday that 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 they secured um bobby webster which was like a huge question mark um Mm -hmm. gm of the raptors so um they have one half of you know that front office duo between um bobby webster and masai jiri locked up so um, if they lock up Masai Ujiri, anything is possible, in my opinion. I will say, I don't know that 
um, any team's front office situation is more like tantalizing to people who root for other teams or just cover the league in general than Toronto's because it feels like every time like Masai Ujiri's contract situation is an issue from the moment he signs every single deal that he signs like everyone's waiting for it to expire or the clock is always ticking oh absolutely yeah he's like um uh you know sought after free agent <laughs> for his <laughs> for front office positions like if he's like every day there's an article about how he may not stay or how um you know this organization is looking to um lure him but in my opinion, if he ends up uh, leaving the Raptors, which is very well in, within the realm of possibility, it would end up being for an opportunity outside of the NBA or outside of basketball, perhaps in another league, perhaps in another country. Like, I don't see him just leaving to go to another NBA team. That would make much sense to me. Uh, he's definitely not going to Washington if he does, at least. That, <laughs> that is not the team that he's leaving to. I don't know, man. Biden won. He might want, like, <laughs> <laughs> he might be interested. Like, someone brought up, like, it's not looking, like, if the election season doesn't look too good for Justin Trudeau, he might dip. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think of that. So he'll, he'll hold dual it's roles so in, the, in the Wizards front factor. office and then the actual White House. That would be, yeah. um, that'd be interesting. So you, what is this team? Uh, so I guess this is twofold. One, the Kyle Lowry vultures continue to circle, and I find it funny or not funny. I find it odd that he's viewed as like such a common trade target when I don't know that you know. There's the sentimental stuff where Kyle Lowry's the best Raptor in franchise history. He's won a title right. with them. Um, he is their culture. It feels like, but they're also just not bad enough to be like, well, we'll entertain Kyle Lowry trade offers. And I've seen just a discrepancy in the, um, like the value of hypothetical packages that have been pitched. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I think the variance there is huge. But my actual question would be like. What is more likely for this team insofar as they would do anything major this year? Is it that maybe they do something where they pivot more towards the big picture and they do deal Kyle Lowry? Or is it they go, I don't want to say all in, but you know, maybe they go after a Victor Oladipo. Where, so what's more likely, like which side of the spectrum do you think they would fall on if they were to make a major type move like that? Honestly, I don't, I can't say anything definitively because I feel like, um, strategically it would totally make sense to trade Kyle and without risking him leaving for nothing. If they don't deal him, I think that is clear. The intent is to extend him and perhaps um, have him, you know, go for another run with the core and add another piece that's missing to the team and just kind of go into, um, you know, that um, Raptors um, tradition of just kind of, um, being among the top of the conference and seeing how things go in the playoffs, you know, mm -hmm. um, just nailing the regular season and then waiting, just kind of waiting in the, in the, um, waiting for in the background for a opportunity to pounce. So, um, I can't really get a read on the situation. It seems that Masai is, you know, the biggest Kyle Lowry fan. Like he talks about him being a hall of famer, how he wishes he could play for 10 more years, and all that and you know he seems to have a hold on the um coaching staff and on the front office like i feel like kyle has a foot in everything for the organization he's um uh, contacted for decisions he represents the team in meetings and everything so perhaps he enjoys that kind of role that he holds on the organization um, and if he doesn't, you know, he, uh, if they don't insult him with an extension <laughs> offer, he'll, he's totally fine with his position. He's fine with, you know, handing the keys to Fred Van Vliet and perhaps taking a more background role as, you know, perhaps a, a two-year deal or a three-year deal or something that allows him to kind of fade to the background, um, you know, with dignity on a singular um, team that he's been uh, holding the rein the reins for the past decade or so so um that would make sense to me but I, it's hard to get a read on the situation because if he perhaps just wants to win another ring you know i'm mm -hmm. positive there's a spot for him on the um philadelphia 76ers i know that he has a relationship with maury um and that's his hometown and he's friends with Embiid. so i wouldn't be surprised if he facilitated a trade there or if they were able to lure him in free agency i wouldn't be shocked and the Raptors themselves, and just independent of Masai's future, they're just in this interesting, approaching another interesting offseason because, you know, they were billed as one of the Giannis destinations. And not only is he right. off the board, but basically every single star player that was going to enter 2021 free agency is off the board. And so they'll still have cap space to I work with. I still there. <laughs> right. And, and it's like, that'd be really funny. I would love That'd like, be hilarious. That'd be the most hilarious uh, what does that timeline? say about paul george as a teammate though if that happens oh god <laughs> uh so 
they're like kind of don't there's no like next obvious move for them and so do you do you like view them as a team that would be bold enough still to maybe go after Bradley Beal should he become available or do you think this is going to be something where they're more likely to try and organically build themselves up from um within um I don't know if I see them trying to build organically because the issue with winning for so many years is that they haven't really brought in any uh, lottery picks into the fold of their right. uh, roster. So they kind of just have a bunch of guys who have exceeded expectations with, you know, Fred being un- undrafted and, you know, Siaka being the 27th pick and OG being, I don't know, the 23rd pick or something. It's just a bunch of guys who just exceeded expectations and just have incredible work ethic. So, um, and a- another thing is that their core is on the older side. So, you know, I think Siakam's like 26 now and OG's mm-hmm. 23 and Fred is same age as Siakam. So um, I think that they, they'd they want to be in a situation where they're prepping for another run or they have a perhaps like a um, a two-year plan or a two-year window where they're looking to optimize the prime years of their core. So um, I don't see them trying to go into like a rebuild. A lot of people are um, suggesting that they trade, um, they look to trade OG, that they look to trade Pascal and stuff. And I just don't see how that, benefits them um Masai doesn't seem to be a rebuild sort of guy it's not something that he's ever attempted in his tenure here so you know I'm not gonna put anything out of um I'm not gonna throw any options out the window I wouldn't be surprised with any approach but that they take but you're right they're in like a crossroads uh situation with a lot of decisions to make and um I'm just glad they secured uh Bobby Webster because it makes that process a little more (laughs) a little less anxiety inducing (laughs) Yeah, I mean, making any big trade, unless you are planning to reset and moving Siakam kind of feels like counterintuitive. Uh, I guess maybe if you were into like the, the James Harden scenarios, but it's with OG is the one that I think you look at, like they would have to give up a blue chip asset in any big deal that they make. And so it's, if you went after a Bradley Beal, or I don't even know what the next superstar is that might request a trade, um, you're probably guaranteed to lose him and you have to figure out whether right. that's worth it because he is like your actual younger cornerstone piece. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can. I that's the thing. Like, I can see, um, you know, between the two. Like, I feel like um, OG's skill set, despite being so vital for the team and their system, is probably more replaceable than Siakam, who's a bit of a um, a rare kind of player in terms of just be having a, a six nine six ten dude that can dribble and who can mm-hmm. uh, play make to a degree and who can get to the rim and everything. Like, I feel like that's. Um, probably tougher to replace for them um, than moving an OG and perhaps replacing him with a player that's maybe older that can do the same thing. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Like they, that's the thing. They they do have options. Um, I I think part of me wants to see them stay, like make almost zero changes. Maybe if there's a smaller yeah. move at the deadline where if you can get an Oladipo and it doesn't cost you OG. Um, or I won't even like, and it doesn't cost you Lowry. It doesn't cost you OG. Like if you're able to take that type of flyer, that would Norm. interest me. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm like so detached to Norman Powell. I don't know about you. Like he's just someone who doesn't move the needle for me at all. No, he's, he, yeah, he's a, um, he's not as skilled as DeRozan, but he's the same kind of, um, I wouldn't say DeRozan now. I think DeRozan now is net positive on the floor in comparison to past years but norm is the same in a sense where he kind of like ends up being a zero on the floor but he takes up usage which is like uh, underrated skill (laughs) you kind of need someone who will take the ball and do something with it like he may give up the same amount of points he gives you on the offensive end but and he's not even like a terrible defender it's just that he's so bad off ball despite being decent on ball so you know, um, if he, the th- but the thing is he can get buckets, like he can score 20 for several games in a row. So they would need him to boost his value and perhaps even extend him and do some sort of sign and trade situation with assets if they were going to go for an Oladipo. Oh, I was about to, uh, if they give Norman Powell a new contract um, and keep him, I'll be terrified for. That would I be scary. <laughs> <laughs> um. Is there anything I didn't ask that you um, wanted to cover about this team? No, I think we talked about everything possible uh, 20 or so games in <laughs> that you can analyze from 20 or so games in. Yeah, they're, I, they're just one of the teams that I'm going to be fascinated to watch moving forward. And like I said, I would like them to keep the crux of the core together because I still feel like there's something there in the East. where they, And it, this year in general is just so 
you know, should basketball even be being played is like one of the questions we have to ask yeah. just yeah. under all the circumstances. I guess anyone could, anything could happen. There's that element there. But looking at the Eastern Conference power structure amid all these circumstances, it still feels like there's oh, like an opening there for another team to get in there aside from, I think, Philly and maybe Milwaukee have been the most convincing teams and neither of them feel unbeatable. So yeah, they, they seem like the most consistent. I wouldn't say they're the most convincing. Like, um, I feel like they have um, an established system and they have like some sort of um, continuity, continuity. Their best players have remained on the team for, mm-hmm. you know, several years now. So um, I feel like those te- those two teams are just feeling really confident and in rhythm right now. Um, but yeah, there's, it does, it doesn't feel as clear cut as the Western conference. Like I feel like in the West is kind of like, Oh, hopefully this is the year that we get our LA versus LA conference finals. Yeah. And I know the Western conference is worse, but I still would just not want to be a part of that middle class. It feels just so hopelessly. Deep exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like the East is stronger, but like at what cost, you know? And yeah, it's, 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 a. Uh, it's it's funny how the tables have turned. <laughs> um, the last question I have for you is: Is there any couple teams that you're going to be aside from Toronto particularly fascinated to watch as as we move through the the rest of the season? Uh, Brooklyn definitely. <laughs> um, the, the Brooklyn is just I think fascinating. Like to be a Brooklyn beat writer right now is probably like fun as hell. Um, to have three superstars on one team who you know every night is like a highlight reel of, you know, excellent basketball (laughs) or just like, I feel like highlight worthy mixtape basketball, which seems really fun. So um, I'm definitely going to be watching a lot of Nets games. I think there's Nets Raptors tonight. Um, I'm going to be watching a lot of 76ers games. I always watch the Sixers. Um, They're kind of like my surrogate team aside from the Raptors. (laughs) Um, and yeah, I think those are the two teams I'd definitely be watching. Yeah, Brooklyn is it's going to be entertaining for obvious reasons. I, I'm more interested to see, like, I people definitely overhyped how the offense was going to work. The answer is it's going to work, it is working, and it's going to be terrifying. Uh, there's real questions on defense, though, with that team, where it's yeah. like, oh, is Kevin Durant their second-best defender now behind Bruce Brown? That might be a problem. Uh, I've bought, you know, you said that maybe Philly and Milwaukee haven't been convincing. Um, I'd agree with you on Milwaukee. That's definitely the wrong word to describe them. For some reason, I'm like, I'll buy all the Sixers stock. They're a team that I just fully trust now, and that's probably wildly dangerous and reckless of me. <laughs> uh, the other team that I'm I'm sort of intrigued by, because I think that they might have a lower floor than people were talked about before the season, is just Dallas, where... Oh, it's, yeah, it's looking rocky. Yeah, them. I mean, there's the criticism of Luka. I do think it's fair to be like, hey, if you're going to take this many difficult three-pointers, at some point you need to make more than 30% of them. That's a real issue. But the bigger conversation is... Um, and maybe it's about, is he a terrible human being as well? But we have to have a real conversation about what Kristaps Porzingis is on the basketball court at some point and whether he's yeah. a viable number two. And if he's not, and I know he's only you know played like five games or whatever it's been since coming back from his, his injury, but that team is like, I, don't, I wouldn't expect them to remain in lottery territory all season, but it feels like there might be a lower floor there than people expected unless they make some type of a move at the trade deadline. Yeah. Yeah. For me, like I've never been high on Kristaps. I think that like, it sounds crazy, but I think that his, just his height and his play style is going to leave him injury prone his whole career. Um, I feel like, you know, just being a huge guy that requires like, um, you know, jab stepping and all of these things, like, I'm not sure how sustainable that is for him just being so huge. You know what I mean? So yeah, I mean, um, I've always had, re- I've always been reluctant to be like, oh, this is a guy I'm going to turn into like a franchise cornerstone or something. Or, and I, I, I think that his reliance on jump shooting, despite like his physical attributes, is also kind of sus. <laughs> so, um, you know, like I, I, I'm not sure how it's going to turn out for them, but um, they're also another team that was supposed to be like, you know, a potential Giannis suitor, dark horse Giannis suitor, if you will. So, um, to see, and oh, you have the Heat too, who also don't look so great. Like Giannis really messed up. <laughs> I I would like to think that Giannis did that on purpose. By the way, Absolutely. that he was like, let free agency play out, <laughs> and then I'm going to sign so that all these teams are left bag holding all their cap space for next year. If he was really about it. He should have waited like till 2021, like to truly like to. The- I, like during this off season to sign anything. I, I floated that to, I, I had someone who covers the Bucks on in the off season. I said, what if Giannis just did this? Because then he ruins two seasons for these teams. And, and um, their response was, 
I just don't think that he wants to go through the drama of not being signed for this year. Yeah, and I was that's like, that's the reason that he actually gave. And I believed him when he said that. Yeah. I mean, it has to be exhausting, but at the same time, like you could have put Toronto's Miami's Dallas's how many other teams futures on hold for like two more years is just yeah. incredible. And yeah, Miami, I don't know what to make of them. Um, they've been so banged up that I kind of give them right. the benefit of the doubt. And maybe I should be doing that with Dallas, but I kind of agree with all the things you said on, on Kristaps, where it's, I might trust his outside shooting more than you do, but I don't like, he's not someone who's just going to go out there and get his own shot. I'm not even talking about his post-ups where he's probably been better there this year than in, in seasons past, but yeah. for someone built like him, he should be able to do more face-up stuff and, and attacking and just the, the sheer injuries um, that piled up mostly on the left side of his body to this point, he's built like a, um, like a spaghetti noodle, like the structural stability <laughs> of a, of a cooked spaghetti noodle. So um, I, again, I, I don't want to say I'm so low on the Mavericks, but I don't think it was everyone just assumed like, oh, and probably including myself that you have Luca, you punched your ticket to 50 wins. Yeah. And another year with all of these role players and, you know, we know how much uh, chemistry, but you know, I've never thought about this, but we know last season where they had the most efficient off- off- offense in NBA history. Um, uh, it, what if to, this season is just kind of like a sharp regression <laughs> on an outlier <laughs> year? That would be really unfortunate. Um, but, you know, uh, we'll see how it pans out. I assumed as well that, you know, another year with all of these role players and stuff would end up, you know, resulting in better chemistry and Luca would be kind of unlocked with another season of experience. But we'll see. Yeah, so the, they're the team for me. And then, like you said, Brooklyn and um, Philly are both teams to watch. Yasmin, thank you so much for coming on and giving me so, so much of your time. This is a great conversation. And if you guys are not following her on Twitter, remedy that immediately. You can find her at Carmelo H Drama or Carmelo Drama, just said, but C A R M E L O H D R A M A. Fantastic writer, fantastic podcaster, fantastic Twitter follower, so so go hit her handle. Yasmin, thanks so much again, and I think you know at this point I'll be pestering you down the line. No problem. Have a good one. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters, the more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.